Hello and welcome to the Total Quadball Podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make quadball what it, what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Here we are, halfway through our sixth series already, episode 55, and we're only five weeks into 2023. Uh, it's good to be back and I'm very pleased to welcome today's guest. Our first American guest of the series. Uh, this person is one of the top players in the US game right now, a member of the US NQT. Looks to be on the roster that guards the gold as hosts at this summer's IQA World Cup. From Boston Pandas and Boston Forge, it's America's sweetheart, Ian Skura. Hello, Ian. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good, man. Uh, glad we found time to do this. And, uh, uh, yeah, on uh, <laughs> a lovely winter's evening. <laughs> yeah, me too, absolutely. Yeah, you're telling me you're at practice today is quite chilly out so definitely good to get inside and uh yeah <laughs> talk some quad ball yeah we're definitely battling some cold here uh at least in the northeast of the u.s so <laughs> always good to at least do some quad ball stuff inside even if it's just a podcast <laughs> or not just a podcast but yeah let's get to switch it up for sure for sure um and yeah obviously uh this is the start of february now but the end of January, so last weekend, uh, you're over in sunny Los Angeles, which is a lot warmer than the Northeast is right now, at the Heroes and Villains Invitational, um, playing with your team, the Boston Pandas. Um, so yeah, how, how was the tournament? And sort of out of the the performance at the tournament, what was you make of it? Yeah, so um, to kind of, I mean, if people followed the results, they might know already, but if people didn't, um, the club side of the tournament went uh so that boom train who's out of sort of the indianapolis and chicago areas in the u.s um and uh my team the boston pandas ended up in the finals um and we ended up losing that game um but uh overall i think the tournament went really well we so we traveled to la we it was a one-day tournament but we got to play all other five club teams that were there so there were six teams and we got to play everyone um which doesn't always happen at a tournament <laughs> so that was nice to get to play all the competition um and I think we learned a lot. We're still kind of midway through our season or so, and I think we have a lot to learn still, but um, we won the rest of our games to get to the finals and beat every other team there. Um, and we've beaten Boom Train earlier in the year, so this game didn't go our way, but I, I'm very encouraged by what I saw throughout the whole day from our team. Um, and I think there's a lot we can still learn from from our loss moving forward to when we play in regionals and when we play in nationals at the end of the season. Yeah, so I was like a... A really encouraging uh, day of competition um, and yeah as you said well, there's definitely lots of positives to take from it despite not coming away with the ultimate victory I mean at the end of the day it's all about peaking at the right time and making sure they do as well as you can at nationals absolutely hmm. yeah it is a tricky balance right because uh, <laughs> I mean it's it's not always easy to kind of have your team peak at the right time and we're, we're doing our best to make sure that um, we just keep growing from every tournament we play in and we've tried to play a lot of games this year so I think by looking I mean it's hard teams haven't played regionals yet not all teams but um, it looks like we're going to play a lot of games compared to some of our competitors in the club division so we're really trying to get out play everyone experience kind of everything we can so that come nationals we're ready to hopefully um, be able to beat anyone that we play. <laughs> yeah definitely get those reps in and, uh... Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, I think, just having these sort of invitational tournaments like that where you get to go to quite a nice location, LA, during the winter time, and uh, 
yeah have like a fun day of tournament like did you do any sort of sightseeing or anything like that or yeah or i'd actually never <laughs> yeah sorry i didn't interrupt um i'd never been to los angeles before so all right um yeah we we got to go um we, i didn't get a ton of time but we did go to santa monica for a little bit we did get to kind of see a little bit of the city um and just kind of enjoy the warm weather and and being in a, a wonderful place despite being january and united states so that was nice um and this is my second year playing full like a full round of club so um every winter so far that i've played we've gotten to go to warm places to play tournaments in the winter and that's it's been a lot of fun just to kind of mix it up get out of the cold climate and uh enjoy the weather and being able to play in that warm weather yeah true can, can confirm santa monica is a, a nice place to spend your days of relaxing by the ocean and, um but yeah, it's also cool, like be able to go on those like fun trips and like have those experiences as a team. I imagine as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of funny, like even being in such a close community like Boston, as far as quad ball goes. I think even still, like me, not all of these players have played together before for a long time, or some have, but you don't always get these opportunities to to spend time with everyone and um, get to go do things outside of practicing or playing. So going on these trips, um, whether it's on the flights or actually getting to like explore places like Santa Monica, um, getting meals as a team, like eating dinner, lunch together. Like it, it really just gives us an opportunity to bond and become closer off the field. Um, and I don't know, it's a lot of fun. I, I love the the group of people we have on our team and um, it's just really fun to get to know everyone even better. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it, it can get quite easy to do when you sort of get on sort of the tournament circuit where you're going okay we're here this weekend right let, let's sort out our hotels accommodation whatever cool we need to be at the pitches for this time and then you show up and all you see is a field somewhere for maybe a day or two and you see a hotel room and you see a restaurant or whatever it is but you don't get a real sense of where you're at so it's always nice to kind of take that time and uh, make it a bit more more of a trip overall yeah absolutely um yeah i remember last year uh and we'll see what happens this year but last year we so we also my team has sort of a like two tiers of our program we have kind of our our a team or more competitive team um called the boston black pandas and then we have sort of our, our b team that's more about development the boston red pandas and we all traveled together when we went and played in regionals uh we, we went to myrtle beach south carolina um, and we went, a lot of us were able to get work off like the day before the tournament and even the day after. So we like went mini golfing together. We got lunch and food. We <laughs> went and played laser tag. Uh, so just like doing lots of fun things all together as the full program too, was really fun that time in particular. Um, cause I mean, I get a lot of time with my, my own team, but we don't always get a lot of time like together as a program too. So that was really special that, that trip. Yeah, true. Especially for like the newer players like giving them a chance to mix of all the different members of the team and yeah feel part of something a bit bigger yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool um and obviously you mentioned this is your sort of second full season kind of on the club circuit um sort of, sort of i guess sort of post pandemic you've been playing with the boston pandas yeah um and boston pandas are quite a unique team um they only play with free max gender uh unlike the rest of the teams who, with the way the gender rules written at the moment playing with four max so yeah, I guess what I wanted to ask, like, what what's it like playing in the team, kind of having this, I guess, key philosophy? I don't know how you describe it, but uh, this key tenant that binds the team together. 
um, in comparison to other teams? Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, I'll just say, I think it's, at least in my mind, it's hopefully the way that this sport is going. It's hopefully kind of, we're trying to play into what we hope the future of the sport looks like. Um, and I think it's really special to be a part of this team and be a part of that goal and the, the messages we're trying to send the players, which, I mean, I, I didn't, well, I wasn't part of founding this team or starting it, but um, being sort of in a more of a leadership role this year and trying to continue those goals, uh, I think at least I see it as, um, I think in this sport, like a lot of the goals of starting a sport like Quidditch or now it's called quad ball, sorry, uh, is to like bring, to, to make a competitive uh, sport environment where like kind of anyone from any gender identity can go out onto the field or the pitch um, and like show off their skills and abilities, no matter what that identity, that gender identity is. And um, I think even despite how progressive we might be compared to other activities or sports, I think there's a lot for us to learn, including myself. I don't claim to be perfect, uh, but I think like our goal of the team is to take our like those tr traditional ways of looking at people and sort of putting them into, oh, you you look or identify this way, therefore you should play this way on the field. Um, and we're trying to give them opportunities to play outside of that. Um, and so by playing in a three max system, so um, only having uh, a maximum of three players of the same gender identity on the field at the same time, we're hoping to just have more of a diversity of people with gender identities on the field so that um, people have more opportunities to play in different roles and to show kind of their abilities and what they can do. And it, I mean, I will say we're not perfect. Like, don't don't think that we're on our high horse compared to everybody yep. else. <laughs> um, like, we're, we're still learning and growing and trying to figure out better ways to, to, to continue to let people grow and show what they can do. Um, but at least playing that way is, is hopefully giving a lot of those opportunities to players who wouldn't otherwise have it. And um, I think, I mean, typically that's probably a lot of female players or um, non-binary or outside of the binary players um, don't always get those opportunities to to be ball handlers in the in a, the quad ball game or to to be the aggressors or the um, yeah the more aggressive beaters in the the dodgeball game. So uh, we're hoping to give more of those opportunities in the way that we play. But I know we are always growing and learning because we're not perfect. Yeah, true. It's very yeah sort of um, progressive and sort of yeah very self aware approach. I think to playing the sport. Um, and you think about the players that are involved with the pandas obviously yourself people like max hadley and lulu zoo people have been playing for a long time um sort of going well what what can we still achieve what can we how, how can we improve for the future of the sport um and identifying how how we'd like to play the sport in the future and how we'd like to improve the gender diversity of our sport um yeah i think bit by bit you're slowly seeing things trend trend towards free max as like an official rule coming in i know in certain countries already thing like germany and norway it's, it's the official rule that teams play with i know the uk as of next season it's going to be officially taken up so yeah it feels like things are coming in place for this to sort of become the norm basically so um yeah it's probably quite good in terms of i guess future planning to be ahead of the curve so to speak yeah yeah i mean that's exciting it's I don't always get a ton of glimpses into what's going on outside of U.S. quad ball. I mean, I try to watch the tournaments that I can. Um, 
but it's really it's really fun to hear um, that teams are playing that way and that whole kind of leagues and organizations are are switching that direction. Um, I mean, and obviously, like that's not going to be the only solution. I, I mean, like mm-hmm. just playing with a certain group of people on the field doesn't mean that you're always in, like giving those players opportunities to be in positions to score or to handle the ball or to to throw or um, beat. But uh, I think it's definitely a big step in the right direction. So I'm excited. Yeah, true, and it's uh, it's good to raise awareness around it. And uh, after our, our recent discussion around women in quad ball, uh, the last few episodes, um, yeah, it's it's good to see an example of a team already taking it on board to try this out, um, even in sort of the current four max gender rule as it is, um, and yeah, sort of allowing for those development opportunities, and uh, yeah, it it because you can you can do that within say a training session like you could you can arrange those scenarios and you can put people in those positions but it's never really going to come together properly until you put them in the pressure of an actual competitive match and ask those players to execute yeah, absolutely i think like one thing i'll probably kind of touch on just in my own experience as we we talk more too but um I think just thinking about, or at least the way I like to think about it is like, as a player, I would not be the person or the player that I am today if I hadn't been given a lot of opportunities to make, to fail a lot, honestly, um, to make a lot of mistakes, to, to recognize what's happening, to be in, like you said, in that competitive environment, in a game, on the field, and have the opportunity to make critical decisions. And sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. And the fact that my coaches and the players, my teammates keep putting me back on the field to do it has made me the player I am today. And I hope I continue to grow. But my point in saying that is more just, if you don't give people those opportunities, they're never gonna become better players and grow into sort of the the role models you look up to into this, in the sport. Um, so hopefully more can kind of, more teams can continue to do that, more uh, organizations can continue to make sort of those headways as far as rules and structure goes so that hopefully those players get more of those opportunities and uh, can can grow into the the potential they have yeah true it's not not a perfect process by any means but uh yeah hopefully uh, a good step in the right direction uh, yeah, yeah pretty exciting to see um we're gonna go very meta now uh, okay so we're on a podcast and we're gonna talk about <laughs> podcasting because uh yeah this is also a hobby that you have um the no, no one can actually see on. Uh, well, this is an audio recording, but uh, Ian's got a very fancy mic that he's using right now. Um, he's got all the gear, uh, some of the idea uh, as well. Um, but yeah, j- during the pandemic, you started your own Quidditch, as it was then, podcast called Questioning Quidditch. Um, so yeah, I guess like what inspired you to start that project, and what did you gain out of it? Was it just like lockdown boredom? Like yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, so there were a couple things that all kind of came together at the same time. Uh, the first of which, ironically, is um, so the way essentially I started school uh, untraditionally. I started in sort of the winter when I started college or university um, and I ended in the winter. So uh, right around right before sort of the pandemic started, I was finishing my very last semester of college. Um, and I or university Um, and so I was actually taking a class on podcasting because I had finished a lot of my requirements and I was looking for fun things to do and we had to pitch an idea by the end of the class um, and make a sample episode in the media right like for work 
Yeah, so I, I work in video production and film, um, and so I've I've worked with audio equipment before, but I hadn't really done any podcasting. But um, I was looking for fun classes in in sort of my major to take that I had already because uh, I'd already done everything else, um, and so I took a podcasting class. And at the end of the semester, I pitched this idea for a podcast about what was then Quidditch and is now Quad Ball, um, and it was uh, so that pitch and that idea existed, and then. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to do anything with it, but when the world sort of started to shut down and I didn't couldn't really go anywhere or play the sport at all, I was looking for things to do. So I took this idea that I had created yep. <laughs> for a class and turned it much more into a reality. So um, I find myself fortunate that through playing the sport, I've met a lot of really interesting people that play. And um, so I just started reaching out to those people I knew and then eventually people I didn't know as well and asking them to come and record with me. So um i haven't done a lot of my own podcast recently but um yeah it was just kind of this idea i had for a class and combining some of my interests of working in media production and uh playing quad ball um, and it happened to kind of work out that i had a lot of free time to work on that when the pandemic first started yeah it sounds like a really productive use of time and yeah obviously be able to combine it into your studies as well um yeah, I always always find it's pretty cool. You can sort of combine something you're passionate with with something that's also sort of valuable as like a career option as well. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty good combination. Um, and yeah, I think I relate to that quite similarly. Like, but n- nowadays when I tell people about this podcast, I'm like, yeah, it's it's a it's a lockdown project that got hilariously out of hand, basically. Um, Fifty five yeah. episodes late, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i definitely can relate to that i mean i did not make nearly as many episodes um but i i mean once you enjoy something you it's fun to stick with it and to keep making it happen and when you have the opportunity to start and you have the time uh you might as well um, mm. yeah. yeah definitely and uh as you said like you meet so many amazing people in this sport and yeah like you you know kind of anecdotally that you'll see somebody at this tournament or you'll get to play with this person and you go oh this person's really interesting like we can have a good conversation but i don't know about you but i sort of think hmm, i can't just randomly start <laughs> a deep conversation you go oh so how did you get into playing quad ball or like exactly whatever. you can't just like randomly out of the loop do that like yeah so it's, it's cool to kind of have this long long form format and yeah let people express themselves in their own unique way i guess yeah and at least for me, when I was starting that podcast and a lot of what the episodes sort of focus on, at least a little bit, is, um, I mean, I had been playing both uh, in our, like our school year season, our U.S. quad ball season, and in MLQ for a while then. So I I knew I probably wanted to continue playing in the way that I am now. But a lot of players in the U.S., at least, when they stop going to college or university, oftentimes there's kind of a big question of like, do I want to fit the Quidditch or quad ball into my life as I become kind of a working adult or do I not have time for it or kind of what am I going to do um, and so when I was starting the podcast I called it questioning Quidditch and uh, and also talked a lot to a lot of people about like what what was it that kept them playing and what was it that drew them to the sport and kept them in it um, because even though I knew I probably wanted to keep playing it was nice to like you said you don't normally have an opportunity to just like call up this person you've met a couple times in this sport and ask like 
why is it that you stick with it? Why is it that you sacrifice a lot of other parts of your life to make this work and pe- keep playing competitive quad ball? Um, but it was a really great opportunity to have this podcast and say, hey, I did this podcast. This is, uh, you want to come on and talk to me about kind of these much deeper uh, conversations than we would normally have? Yeah, definitely. And I think for, I guess, your own mind and kind of your own decision making, I guess, from what you're saying there, you're questioning your own future with the sport. Um, yeah, it probably sort of reaffirmed a lot of the reasons why you stuck around. And I think I speak for many people. And uh, yeah, we're obviously glad to have you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting angle to look at, I think, because as you said, like a lot of people, especially in the US and the UK and Canada, Australia, places like that, where sort of the university college system is sort of the main drive of recruitment to the sport people sort of see it as like oh this is the sport i play while i'm at college and yeah. you do three or four years or whatever and then you go okay that fun chat to my life is over i'm no longer at college yeah i'm gonna be a sensible adult and settle down and be really boring for the rest of my life um <laughs> but uh yeah i think there's there's real value in keeping going like it's just like any other sport at the end of the day um yeah yeah, it, 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 I always feel, I've said this on previous episodes, it feels like you have this sort of, I don't know, almost like superhero identity where you can pitch up to work and you're just, yeah, in your case, you're just, just regular Ian, sort of going back your day, doing doing your work, but then you have this whole alter ego where you're like this amazing player and this, this sport that only a few people have actually heard of. And <laughs> yeah, you can kind of uh, live out some dreams through that. Yeah, it's really true. Uh, it's fun to kind of, <laughs> I never thought of it as an alter ego, but I, I like that idea. Um, yeah, I mean, my coworkers happen to know, and I I think partly because I work in a creative industry, um, it came up pretty quickly that I played this weird sport. Uh, but yeah, I know lots of friends and stuff where they work in industries where they no one knows that they play. Um, and so, yeah, they do kind of have this like secret identity of on the weekdays, I work my nine to five job and I go into the office and I clock in and clock out. And then on the weekends, I become this really cool player for this sport you might not have ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. Kind of gives people, I guess, a, a real purpose and yeah, sort of something they can be really proud of at the end of the day. So definitely a good reason to stick around after college. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm so glad I stuck around and it was just a fun way to to have those conversations with people that encourage me to, to mm. just continue to stick around. True, true. If, if anyone were to look back on the, the podcast, find it on Spotify, are there any particular episodes they should look out for? Um, so I would say uh, as far as just entertainment value, um, as far as entertainment value, well, okay, so they're, there's an episode we did with uh, Aaron Reno and Kobe Kendall in my second season, and the two of them together were very funny at the time. And also, um, I think it was kind of a more modern uh, conversation on the sport and players. Um, so if you're just looking to listen more about the sport, I would definitely go check that out. Um, if you're really legitimately questioning whether or not you want to keep playing, uh, I would go listen to my very first episode where I literally talked to my older brother um, about it uh, and just like, what I'm going through and my thoughts and his thoughts about it. And um, it, there's not a lot of talk about the sport or contemporary games or anything. So 
uh, you, you'll have to kind of bear through that. But there is a lot of discussion about like what is valuable about playing a sport like this and why dedicating your life to something that other people might not understand uh, is very valuable and gives you a lot of goals and um, challenges yourself in interesting ways. So uh, those would be my recommendations. <laughs> OK, yeah, good, good kind of cross section of, of, of the pod there. Yeah, that's quite cool. Uh, yeah, I think many listeners to this podcast can relate to that. I mean, a lot of episodes like this where, yeah, we're not talking about, I don't know, the defense that the Boston Panthers are running right now. We're talking about you and kind of why you do it and the emotions behind it and all of that. Um, and yeah, I think that's something we really strive for here. So, uh, yeah, definitely good to go and check those out. Um, these days, though, you spend a lot more time um, working for the eighth man. Um, mm-hmm. You co-host the beat with Emily Hickmont, one of our previous guests. Um, so yeah, could you tell us a bit about that podcast and yeah, what you get up to on it? Yeah. So the beat um, originally started as a podcast kind of also early in the pandemic um, to uh, m- more just talk to people in the community about different things going on. So it was less like a recap of events or tournaments or anything more focused, I guess, similar to my other podcast, but like more focused on uh, just talking about um, broader like thoughts on the sport and player development and uh, ways you could learn. So early on, we did a lot of episodes on different positions and like playing as a chaser or a seeker or a beater. Um, And we interviewed lots of people that were really um, accomplished in those areas and talked to them about skills that they learned and ways they developed and um it's kind of evolved over time we have a a couple different series i'll call them um that have developed over time so there's that series that focused on play positional development um and then more recently for example uh we've just started uh looking at basically the histories of tournaments so um we did a episode very recently about heroes versus villains the tournament we just went to but we talked not only about the like previewing what happened at this tournament we recorded it beforehand but we also talked about the history of the tournament kind of how it started who started it and uh, what we think it's done for the sport here in the u.s at least so um yeah that's that's our goal for right now is to keep making episodes about uh sort of I'll say like non-USQ run tournaments that bring either club or college teams together. So uh, this time it was HVI, but there have been other big ones like uh, Crescent City that happens down in New Orleans. And um, so we're we're trying to focus on tournaments like that, that bring teams together um, in ways that aren't just our regionals or our nationals. Yeah, it's quite a unique perspective to have. Um... And yeah, it's good to kind of have different focuses for those different series going forward, um, especially now that we're back playing tournaments. And yeah, you can obviously talk about what's happening on the field and yeah, have like a bit of an insight like, oh, th- this team's doing really well at the moment and oh, watch out for this player at this upcoming tournament. Like that kind of stuff's really cool. And I know from just the, the, the uh, listing hits I get on this podcast, those episodes do quite well. Yes. Um, but it's also good to look back at the history and kind of, what's what's been achieved and yeah kind of the unique aspects of the sport um and to appreciate that because there's a lot of people who put in a lot of hard time and effort into making these things happen and yeah it's good to appreciate that the work that's gone in 
Yeah, and I'll just say also, um, things have been pretty inconsistent lately just because we all have a lot going on. But uh, the yep. original goal was that Emily and I would record this podcast, The Beat, and or not this, but we would record The Beat and we would talk yep. more about um, kind of n- the non-direct like playing now in these tournaments and players to watch. But we would focus on other things where uh, that would give space for what is now Kellen Cupid's podcast to where Kellen would go um, and talk much more about sort of what is happening right now in the game, what players should you look out for, who did well in which tournaments. So um, the idea was to kind of split up those those ideas amongst the eighth man so that we'd have podcasts coming out more regularly. Obviously, though, the, th- the three of us, even just specifically, are, are very busy with things all the time. So uh, between running our teams respectively or helping run them and, and volunteering for, for the organizations in our sport, um, we do our best. <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, like you could sort of stick to quite a, a serious regime and go, oh, we have to record this episode by this date and all that. And you could take that route with it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like we do this out of passion and enjoyment. Um, and at the end of the day, the way I see it, it's it's good that we can produce stuff like this and have more of a digital footprint for the sport, um, sort of ways that people can stumble across it and go, oh, do you know, yeah, there's, there's these people that actually take this semi-seriously um, and they, they know a lot about it and, oh, maybe I, I'm going to try that in the future or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, as and when you can put them out, yeah, it, it still adds a lot of value. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, we're going to look at, I guess, a bit of your playing career now um there's yeah lots of uh, interesting avenues to go down there um but yeah well, we'll take it back to the very beginning because that's always a, a good place to start um mm-hmm. which i think it's become like one of my catchphrases in this show i swear um yeah so like how, how did you get into quidditch as it was then and quad balls it is now yeah my background is probably a little untraditional compared to at least a lot of people i've met uh, in the u.s playing um so, I mean, in some ways it was traditional. I, I started actually playing when I went to college or university. Um, but my first introduction to the sport was uh, about eight years before that, because oh, wow. like I like I mentioned before, um, <laughs> or very briefly, yeah. um, uh, I have so I have actually have two older brothers and they are much older than me. Uh, they're 10 and eight years older. And my middle brother, uh, his name is Ryan. He actually went to Middlebury College um and when he was starting it was right around the time i think i think his freshman year was the the first they called it world cup but like the first tournament between any two schools and it was middlebury playing vassar um and if anyone is interested middlebury is a college that started the sport uh and then vassar is a, another university in america that's yeah. in new york but vastly uh, important to the issue of uh, quidditch or quad boards is yeah yeah and so um my parents and I, my family is very supportive. So we drove up and we watched uh, a lot of events he played in throughout his time in college. So um, he, there was a lot of intramural teams and stuff happening at Middlebury at the time. The sport was, um, it just like caught on in a way that I think along with Harry Potter just being as popular as it was then that it's harder to right now. But so there were teams playing within Middlebury against each other all the time. And he did a lot of that. He helped to be a snitch at a lot of very big events, like what was then called World Cup and Nationals for a couple of years. And then his senior year, he played for the Millbury team uh, and won uh, that tournament that was also called World Cup, but as US Quad Ball Nationals. 
um, against Tufts, who played in the finals, and I believe that was 2011. Um, or no, 2010. That was World mm. Cup four. Yeah, because yeah. then the next year they won in against Florida. Um, but so I I just like watched a lot of these events. I went to New York City to watch them play Tufts, um, and I thought it was really fun. And at the time, I. Uh, <laughs> right at, like kind of as a birthday celebration i would get together with a lot of my friends uh when i was little and we'd play our own version of the sport of, of quidditch uh but then i kind of forgot about the sport for a, a couple of years in high school um i didn't i focused on other things uh and then when i started college or university my one of my really close friends who ended up helping captain the team with me later he was my like my orientation leader so one of the people that like helped me get oriented to the school and um, figure out where things are and was like a resource for me he was on the team uh, and he just kept kind of asking me and pestering me he was like you should sign up for Quidditch you should play Quidditch uh, and I was like yeah that that was really fun when I was little I'll try that again um, so eventually after a lot of questioning I, I went and I played and I practiced and at the time I was really relaxed uh, in Middlebury there was we were not going to many tournaments or anything but um, even just at practice I had a blast with a few people that were there uh, so they kind of hooked me right away. Um, and I think I went to my first tournament where we literally just went and played the University of Vermont. And neither of those teams were playing any sort of competitive official games at that time. This was mm. spring of 2016. Um, and then uh, from there, basically, <laughs> um, I just the more I got into it, the more I wanted to help people at Middlebury play more games and play more competitively and learn and grow. So um essentially what happened was coming back that next fall in 2016 into 2017 um me and then my two close friends uh tabitha mueller and andrew plotch the three of us we kind of started scheming about how we wanted the organization to run and look and um we started to practice more we started to uh, try and recruit as best we could um and we sort of like laid the groundwork for the next year um and so by the start like a year later by the fall of 2017 we were rejoining what was then us quidditch what is now us quad ball uh and we started to play competitive games during the regular season in like the boston area and then go to regionals for the northeast and then um that first year was kind of brutal <laughs> we learned a lot we lost a lot of games uh, i don't think we won a game until the very end of regionals uh we did not qualify for our national tournament um, but we we recruited a lot of people and we all grew from there so um yeah so essentially my introduction to the sport was just kind of like falling in love with it in this really insular small way where um like i had known about it before and i had seen these big tournaments but then when i actually started playing it was just i want to say like 10 people not enough to field a full scrimmage uh, at a small college in vermont that even though it had started the sport uh was kind of the remnants of this once storied program um and I, like I'm not, I will say, uh, I don't want to criticize any of the people who came before me or any of the people that were on the team then. They were all wonderful people and they had a lot of fun playing. Um, but like we, yeah, my friends Andrew, Tabitha, and I, we really transformed it to be more competitive and uh, to rejoin kind of the bigger quad ball organization. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, as you said, like, yeah, I'd say that's that is quite unique entry into the sport Ian, I must say um yeah like it, it, it's really interesting having that insight because obviously you joined I was like 2015 2016 something like that 2016 spring of 2016 yeah. 
So you, you, you kind of officially started playing then, but obviously from like sort of seeing that your brother played um, in sort of Middlebury's heyday, so to speak, um, when they were sort of the quote unquote world champions or that, yeah. um, you have this very unique perspective, I think, um, where you've kind of seen what the sport was back when you weren't at an age to like properly play it um, and sort of see what that was like initially and kind of see how fun it could all be and whatever, but not having the sort of the pressure of jumping into a game straight away. Um, so I imagine, yeah, we might get a few people like that in the future where the likes of us will be playing now and yeah, they might have a sibling or a family member or whatever who plays and they might casually turn up and then, yeah, a few years down the line actually start playing themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It was a funny introduction for sure. And um, as I think, maybe I'll kind of jump the gun on you. I think you're going to ask me this later. But um, yep. one thing that was really funny about it was that. Uh, so I had this like, even though I knew what the sport had been and I knew kind of that there was still probably this competitive scene, I didn't I didn't really know what it looked like at the current moment when I started playing. Um, I once I started to enjoy the sport enough, I started seeking out watching as much film on YouTube and um, trying to watch games that were happening and figuring out where the sport was. And then by the time that uh, I got to the spring of 2017, I still hadn't played any official USQ games yet. Middlebury still hadn't rejoined uh, our organization, but uh, I knew that we were trying to that next fall. Um, and so I, I like found this website for Major League, what was then Quidditch and is now Quad Ball, and saw that there was a team in Boston, and um, I grew up in New Hampshire and still live there. So I was pretty, if if you don't know the geography of the U.S., I'm pretty close to Boston. I'm within an hour yeah. driving. Um, well, like a lot of small states in sort of a very small compact. Yeah. Area. <laughs> so apparently to say I don't know, the West. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, even though I was in a different state, I was within very reasonable driving distance. Um, and so I, I kind of on a whim didn't know anybody who played in that competitive scene, but drove down or signed up and to try out and drove down to um, try out for this Boston team uh, for major league quad ball. Um, and that was kind of my first competitive introduction into playing, which is really funny was um, <laughs> because Middlebury hadn't played an official tournament yet. All I had done is uh, play these kind of casual uh, events against other teams that, that didn't really compete very often. Um, and then, went down and tried out with a bunch of people that I later learned were on Team USA. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a, quite a jump to make. Um but yeah, just sort of going going back a little bit. Like you mentioned, yeah, you, you went to some of these tournaments that your brother was at, um, then sort of went away to high school for a bit and then actually sort of re-engaged and properly started playing when you were at Middlebury. Um so I guess question would be like sort of during those high school years like did you play any other sports like did you kind of apply your interests a bit differently um to other things and yeah how did that impact the way you play the sport now yeah so i have always loved all kinds of sports growing up um i <laughs> there was a time i think when i was really little like before high school age that i was playing baseball lacrosse soccer and basketball um, I narrowed it down to three by the time I got to high school. And I played soccer in the fall, I played basketball in the winter, and I played lacrosse in the spring. And I did that pretty much up until my senior year, I only played soccer and lacrosse. But 
every other year of high school, I played all three of those sports. Um, and I tried to play them as competitively as I could. Uh, so like by the time I was looking at colleges and stuff, I, um, I, I mean, it was for division three. So for people who don't have perspective, I was not playing at a very high level in any of these, but I, I was trying to get recruited to play uh, lacrosse or soccer in college for a little bit before I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but so I was playing these sports very competitively. I was playing them kind of all the time and switching between the three. Uh, and I think, yeah, just I just loved being active. <laughs> and I think team sports in particular have always drawn me in. Just um, there's something about like when it when it doesn't click, it's really hard. But there's something about the not only focusing on your own individual development, but working uh, with all of your teammates to to really just kind of best your opponent and figure out what they're doing and how you can stop them from doing that and how you can kind of um, adjust to that and then find your way to win or score or whatever it is uh, has always just been really appealing. Um, I mean, I grew up in a family where a lot of us always loved watching and playing team sports. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I was just always drawn to that. Um, but then when I kind of got to my junior, senior year of high school, I I don't know. I think I just decided I was going to find something competitive to do, but I would prioritize my my education and just my social life a little bit more so that I don't know. I I know that college athletics can be very uh, time intensive in in the US at least. So, um I just decided to focus mm. a little bit on other things and that is what led me here to <laughs> playing quad ball. Yeah, true. I think yeah, for various people that's semi relatable. I think sort of excelling at various sports at a young age and then working out how seriously do I want to take this um let's go hmm should probably focus on my studies and then yeah sort of going oh I can be a really high level athlete at this sport but also go to university and get a degree and not have to make the same sacrifices that you would have to to get some kind of scholarship or yeah get into like a, a major sports school yeah 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 uh, I won't claim to be uh, like super. I mean, I, I want to give myself credit. I think I'm a good yeah. athlete, but like, I don't want to give anyone the impression that I was like a recruited, really high level soccer player or anything. I yeah. was, I, I was just trying my best, and I really enjoyed it. And I think it's it's helped me improve and develop as an athlete and become what I am. But um, I was just trying to figure it out as I went. <laughs> yeah, true. It's really interesting, sort of the mix of sports you play, because I think when people watch you play. Like, I don't know whether it's just, like, you as, like, a person, as an individual, but you're very, like, agile in the way you play the sport. Like, you don't really stay still for any given moment of time. And you can't just, like, moving into space and, yeah, sort of being able to sort of start a step and sort of get out of difficult situations quite quickly is, like, a big part of the way you play the game, I think. And, yeah, like, fairly sure you've developed some of those skills, sort of, yeah, playing football or, as we call it, um... Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sure that there are people listening that hate that I'm saying soccer. I, I can try and try and say football. I do I do watch the sport often enough that I, yeah. I should call it that. But I mean, uh, I actually found out the other day like where the root of the word soccer came from. Um, because like football is association football and like soccer is like an abbreviation of that. And that was invented by a British person, so yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very weird one. Um, when I found that out, um, I was, yeah, mine was blown. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it is interesting. Like I, I watch American football, but I much prefer um, 
what I'll call like the true football. Uh, and so, and also the name makes so much more sense for what the sport is. So I don't know why we call it soccer in the United States. And I'm very curious more about sort of the origin of the word, but yeah, well, there you go. Every yeah. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and just sort of going off of what you said a little bit, if I could, I, I think you're yeah. totally right that um, playing those three sports, I think really helped me just with like field awareness and player spacing, um, especially in, I'll say in, in football, um, I think even though it's a very different game and even though there's a lot more space on the field, the field it's I mean, the pitch size isn't uniform, but there's so much more space to work. Uh, I think that gave me a really good sense of where I needed to be, especially being a, a keeper or at least playing by the hoops, whether or not I'm wearing a green headband. Um, I think like the ideas of both on offense and defense, where I need to be to avoid someone stopping me or to stop someone else, uh, how to prevent them from getting a pass somewhere, uh, sort of reading what they're trying to do based on where they're positioned on the field, um, and then using that against them when I'm playing offense. I think I learned a lot of those skills from there. And then I think you take that and you might make it much more tight quarters, and that's kind of what basketball is in a way, except you're using your hands. Uh, There's a lot of spacing, there's a lot of movement, and you constantly have to adjust to where people are and get your body in front of them um or like how am i going to get past them by getting like my shoulder down and around them or something to go score myself so i think a lot of those skills translated really well um and then even though <laughs> this is a weird one but uh in lacrosse you can go behind the net even though you can't score from there uh, oh, so yeah. i think a lot of those skills and stuff came from there and then um I don't, the throwing ability is just kind of a miscellaneous one. I'm not totally sure. I know my my push passes and shots come probably from basketball, but I had to adjust two hands to one hand. Um. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot you take from that. And yeah, I think one thing you point there, like the field awareness, like when you're playing football, is yeah, it's a very underrated skill. I think um, if you look at the very best football players of your Messi's and I don't know, say your Luka Modric's and very top end of the sport. It's their ability to anticipate what's going to happen and work out right when I get the ball, who, who what, what's going to happen? Who's going to apply pressure to me? Who's going to try and take the ball off me? Where are my teammates? All these things. And like, you can tell they're just thinking a couple of moves ahead. Um, it's, it's very subtle, but yeah, if you can translate that into your quad ball game, yeah, massively valuable. Um, but yeah, obviously you mentioned that your brother played, so I'm, I'm quite curious. Um, like, because obviously with him being a bit older, like, has he ever tried to like pass on any like technical advice in terms of how to play the sport, or has he just kind of let you have at it? Uh, when I was younger, maybe a little bit. Um, but I think just because, I, I mean, he he didn't partly because of where the sport was at the time. Um, there wasn't really an avenue to keep playing after he graduated. And also, um, just based on his own interest in life, uh, he's he hasn't played in a very long time. And so I think I've just kind of had to learn it a lot on my own. Uh, and he's been very supportive. But um, yeah, I think there wasn't as much skill passed on just because so much time had passed by the time I started playing competitively. And he had had so much time away from it that uh, <laughs> a lot more of independent learning. But um, just a funny anecdote is uh, if you ever see me uh, at Brooms Up, uh, put my like right before they call Brooms Up, if you ever see me put my hands above my back and uh, move my fingers kind of in the air, almost like wings, it's a tribute to him because he used to do that before uh, every game. So that's quite sweet. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's pretty cool. The yeah, I was, I was wondering if at any point he's like, oh, you should have gone for this pass, and <laughs> why, why did you tackle this way or whatever it was. Um, yeah, older brother syndrome not kicking in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite the same way, but yeah, he's definitely a, a super supportive of it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, obviously you mentioned. Yeah, you had this sort of vision in sport by him, um, and then you went to Middlebury and sort of gave it a go yourself. Um, but just sort of in terms of Middlebury as like a program and like within the college, like is there kind of an awareness of the importance of the team, like to to the sport and to the college as such? Like, is this something that people were aware of when when you were there? Yeah, it, there's at least a slightness, slight awareness of it, um, I think, all the time, or at least all the times I've interacted with the team. Um, I mean, when I was there, there was definitely an appreciation for that this was something that our school or people at our school started uh, and that we, even if we weren't playing competitively at the time, like we needed to continue the tradition of, of playing, uh, of continuing to enjoy it at least, and having people that are at our school playing in some capacity. Um, so, yeah, I think I think there's at least not a full appreciation. I mean, it's hard to really know what people went through to make those tournaments happen, to make those teams happen at the time. But um, I think everyone at least understands that they the people at Middlebury did start the sport and that um it is kind of a special thing to that community I mean there's like I think almost every tour guide that leads a tour through that campus usually mentions something about uh it being the school where can real life quidditch started mm. <laughs> there's um there's like a a little sign on one part of the campus that mentions that as well so uh even people that don't play usually at least know that this is a school where it all kind of began. Um, and I, I would say that like, as at least what I tried to uh, pass on to the people after me and what it seems like is still kind of there. I, I don't know that. I don't know the team super well anymore, but I know a few players well. And um, mm. it seems like we've tried to pass on sort of that love of the sport and the game and an appreciation for like, no matter how good the team is, what really matters is like, we, we would love the team to stick around and to continue to recruit people and just pass on what we think is this really special sport. Yeah, true. It's a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I just find the whole like really fascinating because, yeah, if, if you ever sort of know the context of Middlebury College and sort of where it is and everything, like it's not, it's not a big college. It's not like UCLA's or like NYU's or anything like that. No. Like, it's it's tiny in comparison yeah obviously it had such a a big important like impact when Alex Benepe and Xander Manchel like established the sport um all those years ago um and yeah it's it's, it's yeah I'm just quite curious as to like the heritage of that um because yeah I imagine yeah quite a small place and these colleges always kind of looking to build themselves up and sort of look at ways of convincing new people to to come to their school and uh, to be a student there. Um, and yeah, I've, I imagine it's one of those like unique things that yeah, as you said, like a tour guide on a campus talk and go, hey, this is where the Quidditch team was founded. Uh, and yeah, be able to use that as a bit of a marketing tool. Yeah, it is really funny. And I think there are still a few small traditions that have passed on 
pretty much all the way to us from what I understand um or past me I should say at this mm. point um like we still practice at least during the warm months of the year uh on this basically I'll call it a, a quad or like a grassy field that's in the middle of the campus but um, it's a quad yeah I mean there are competitive or there are like the actual athletic fields at the other part of campus that we practice especially on the indoor ones in the winter when we're allowed to get the space um but like in the warm months of the year when it's nice enough to play out there we play in this very public area in front of all these students walking by which is kind of how they started introducing people to the sport at the beginning at least as it was told to me and then like at the end of every practice at Middlebury we would (laughs) Uh, we would scream the name of the sport uh, for as loud and long as possible, uh, which is a really ridiculous thing to do. Um, but they would do that at the end of every big event, uh, at least when the sport first started. And we we try to pass on little things like that, um, that as, as far as I know, have, are still there <laughs> to this day. Fair, that's, that's, that's quite funny. Reminds me of um, there's a guy I used to play with at Southampton. I think, I think he used to do that in, like, in a nightclub um maybe in the form of a chat up line i don't know just just shouting quidditch as loud as he could um oh. quite hilarious but um yeah it's, it's also just impressive as well because as we, we talked about the size of the college and like it's amazing to see what the team achieved in those kind of early years of the sport um be able to win sort of multiple national titles um and at the end of the day like when you have a small school like that it's in some ways it's just an achievement to have a team as i guess you saw in your time there um and yes yeah sort of going from that to then yeah sort of playing these unofficial games and things um but it's just it's just impressive that a place like middlebury can have that history um and then be able to sort of then ramp it up after after yeah in kind of the years that you were there yeah, it, it is really special. I mean, I don't, I wasn't, I mean, I was watching it as a little kid, but I like I didn't get to experience it. But I think there's something really special about the group of people that came together to, to play uh, that competitively for that long when they were in a tiny school in Vermont. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just remarkable, really. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so yeah, just like talking more about your time with with Middlebury. Obviously, you mentioned that you sort of went away and you did a lot of research around like film and things, and obviously played up with um, with the Boston MLQ team, which we'll come on to later. Um, but yeah, you put a lot of effort into sort of resurrecting the program with a few of your close friends. Um, so could you give a little detail about how you went about that in terms of say the recruitment process and I guess the the retention progress how did you build up program yeah it's it's definitely not a like a strict science by any means uh, we kind of threw as many ideas at it as we could um i think the biggest thing for us at the time that it worked some years and it didn't others uh was just we tried to have conversations with as many people around campus so we'd set up booths outside of the dining halls um because they're weirdly enough there are three dining halls on our campus so we'd like set up time during lunch to go just sit out front of the dining halls and talk to people and sometimes we'd like throw quaffles at them or (laughs) pledgers and stuff and be like hey do you want to talk about this weird sport you should play um and so we do things like that we would participate in our schools like activity fairs and things um and then we would host uh or we would try and host no matter how small it was uh (laughs) just like a internal 
or like a tournament at our school. So we try to have um, when we did that, we it's still it's still called the Millbury Classic. Um, and uh, what we would do is we'd have a tournament for college teams. So the Middlebury team itself would play against a few other schools in the area. Um, it became teams like RPI, occasionally like Tufts would come up, uh, University of Vermont. Um, and then we'd also host like an inter-school tournament of, uh, we'd try and get, have the school help us to recruit, or basically like encourage freshmen to participate in this event where all of like these freshmen from different dorms and in, uh, in the school would play against each other. Um, and the hope was that you'd get like you'd get them to play once at this tournament and that they would see the college teams competing against each other and that they might have interest in continuing to play. Um, that worked for a couple of years. <laughs> uh, it has since just become a, a college tournament. Uh, we don't have the inter um, play between people at our school anymore, but um, yeah, it was just hard to get enough people to play. Um, and so, yeah, it was just trying to talk to as many people and have host this event every year that at least just got people to come and see what I guess quad ball is. Um, and, and yeah, cause I, I think one thing that's interesting is, um, I think there's a perception, like even if someone has heard that this exists as a sport, not everyone actually can picture what it looks like or how competitive and athletic you need to be to play it. Um, and so, we tried to just expose people to that and be like, hey, this you can take this seriously. You can be really good at this. You can it, it's a sport. <laughs> um, you should come try it. So, yeah, we weren't perfect at it every year, but that's how we tried to recruit people. And we get I would say we got pretty lucky our first couple of years. My two friends and I working together, uh, Tabitha, Andrew and I, but because um, we got a lot of freshmen to come out our first year or two and then we got more of a steady stream of just a few people every year after that, which I think is kind of what they've done since. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, in terms of strategy, yeah, I think that's, I, I imagine there's people in other programs that have done kind of similar stuff, and yeah, there's certainly elements of that, I think. Certainly if you played at, like, the university college level, yeah, you can kind of re relate a little bit to that sort of recruitment style. But yeah, I think it's, it's kind of test me to, to you guys and I guess the confidence and belief that you had with the sports to put on these events and to have the confidence to walk up to people and ch chuck a ball at them and yeah sort of show yeah we're not we're not just this like bunch of nerds like playing a bit of like I don't know live action role play or something like this is actual serious sport and we're seriously passionate about it and you can come and join us too and look this is how it's actually played rather than I always find when you're explaining the sport to someone they can't really picture it. Um, they might be interested, but because they can't visualize it themselves, it, yeah, then it, it's harder for them to be persuaded. But if yeah. you kind of, yeah, thrust it in their face and go, look, this is what it looks like. Uh, and this is how cool it is. And people still be confused, obviously. But uh, yeah. yeah, at least they have more of a sense of what they could be getting themselves into. Yeah, also, like, the more you can have, like, a computer up at a at an activity fair or something with, like, a highlight reel of a game or a tournament, uh, or even, I mean, I would not say game footage is ideal for someone who's never seen the sport before, but, like, any sort of visual that you can show people as to how this works and that it does function like a sport, I've found the easier it is to kind of convince them to come out and try it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, kind of on the more retention side, how did you keep people sticking around and sort of attending practices and tournaments and all that yeah um i think i mean we just tried our best to make it 
both competitive and fun, uh, which is it's a hard balance. But um, yeah. I think our our thought around it was, I mean, we're at this small school, kind of like you said, where we both said, and um, people when they join are usually pretty unsure of what's going on and what this really is. Uh, so we just wanted to make it like, okay, anyone who wants to play, we need to make a space for them um, because we, well, A, we need them and, <laughs> and B, uh, if if we're driving people away, like there's no way we're going to continue to exist. Um, so I think our school was in a funny position where it was just, if anyone wanted to play, we had to teach them the skills they needed to be able to play. So someone hadn't played a sport before, we needed to teach them how to play a contact sport, how to tackle, how to be tackled safely, how to um, have uh, any sense of field awareness to throw a ball sometimes. Um, and then it was just being really supportive. Uh, I think like sort of like we talked about with what is really special about travel tournaments with club teams and getting to interact with your teammates. Um, we tried to make spaces for social events and for uh, bonding time between teammates because oftentimes those were the things that kept people around too. At first it was, um, we just wanted to make like a safe social space for those people to I don't know, to explore and to be themselves. And I think like college or universities, at least in the US, I would imagine it's the same in lots of the rest of the world. It's really a time where you start to come into your own. Um, you start to figure out kind of who you want to be um, for a lot of the rest of your life. And like you need to give people social outlets to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think actually athletic environments can be good because we all get to kind of go together on a field and uh, play our hearts out and blood sweat tears on the field and then afterwards you can um go hang out together go uh just like whether it's party or whether it's just like a chill hangout or play games or um like we tried to have meals together we tried to host um like social events or parties we tried to just like get people to spend time together because um once we built sort of that group of friends we found it was really easy to retain people and keep them playing yeah true I think just in terms of the nature of the program as well, obviously kind of having, as we talked about this, like sort of really prestigious past and sort of being this, yeah, obviously a very important part of creating the sport. And then, yeah, sort of having sort of a, a declining number of players and things like that. And then having to re rebuild the program while you were there. Like um, essentially, well, because you started with, very little sort of going to these yeah, unofficial tournaments and not really having enough to like properly scrimmage in, in training or anything like that and yeah sort of just sort of making ends meet and just about getting by like you had to focus on the fun aspects of it and you had to focus on making it sociable and had to focus on finding the positives and the way people are playing um and yeah obviously that sort of created the culture and then you could add on more members sort of as the years went by and then build the program up from there so it wasn't it was never initially about trying to compete and trying to win but just trying to be the best versions of yourselves yeah yeah exactly um it's funny i mean <laughs> there's not much of it but i this couple of people has shown me some game film of my first season with Middlebury as when we were rejoined us quad ball and those games are rough uh we are not playing a particularly pretty or uh effective version of the sport but i think the thing we did do well is we played a lot of games and we always tried to get everyone the like to, if they were playing in the the quad ball or the quaffle game we tried to get them the, their hands on the ball uh we tried to pass them to them if they were playing the beater game like we gave them 
we would switch off. We almost never had control, uh, but <laughs> we'd switch off. So the beaters are always getting chances to be the aggressor or to be kind of in the back more of the field awareness, cleaning up the passes. And um, I think that made a huge difference. It was like, yeah, we weren't winning games. Uh, we <laughs> were just kind of having fun together and doing our best to, to play and enjoy it. But by the next season, even we were in contention to qualify for nationals and um, like competing in a, in a fun way. So it was an interesting like it's funny to say as the the person or player i am now like obviously i love competing i'm very competitive I, like i want to win um mm-hmm. but i think i having to go through that experience of rebuilding the program definitely instilled in me that i also need to be enjoying this game um and and making sure that people i'm with are enjoying it too so that doesn't mean i can't put my heart out on the field and try and win a tournament but um it just means like the goal, the ways to get there. There, there are effective ways to get there where um, it's a positive experience for everyone. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's a, a really healthy way of looking at it. Um, and yeah, just obviously as you you mentioned there, um, literally did eventually requalify and went to nationals uh, in twenty nineteen. Just a really momentous achievement for the programs sort of building back up to that level. So yeah, could you take us kind of through that? that run sort of qualifying and then going out to Round Rock, Texas and playing the tournament, what was that like? Yeah, um, so regionals that year and kind of the years before, it was in uh, Rochester, New York for us in the Northeast. Um, and that was our qualifying event. So you had to qualify at that tournament um, to play at nationals. You could, getting at large bids, I think was a little different than, so I, um, I'm forgetting exactly how we might've done that. But um, we, we're in, I remember we were in like a, a pool with some really good teams like NYU and then also some teams we thought we could beat. But again, the year before, we had barely won any games all season. Um, and even though we had done pretty well at the beginning of that uh, that next year, I think we were still a little unsure exactly where we were going to sit. Um, but I think like we st- stuck with pretty much everyone we played that day and uh, or those two days. And we played this final game to to qualify I and mean, if we had lost we would have had another opportunity to qualify but um we got into this qualifying game against macaulay honors college uh who was a team at the time and <laughs> we could not catch the snitch uh so we were leading all pretty much the entire game and by a, a large margin for most of that game uh but i think that game went on for almost an hour of game time uh before we finally caught but because of sort of the way the tournament went, how our prior season went, and how long that particular game was. Um, there's like some really shaky phone footage of it, but we catch the snitch to finally win the game and they blow the whistle and our whole team is just like crying and screaming and running out of the field. <laughs> um, and just because, I mean, I think for us at that point, qualifying for nationals was a potentially attainable goal. Um, and so even though like obviously we weren't planning on winning nationals or anything at that point, but like realistically we knew we could qualify. And I think finally getting there after a year of, of struggling to win any games was just really important. And then finally sort of going through lots of practices after that, um, our regional was in the fall. So we had a whole season of just trying to prep and be the best we could by the time we went to nationals in the spring. Um, there were a couple of injuries and a couple of people who, couldn't go for a couple of reasons um, that like, I know we were, it was just like nerve wracking going in. We still had a full team to play and everything, but um, it was just a, we were like, I don't know how this is going to go. 
uh, and we played our first game, or we were about to play our first game, and then we like got news from the organization that uh, there was such high wind speeds and stuff that they and thunder, I think, and lightning that they delayed the tournament. So we're all like waiting in the hotels, waiting to go play uh, (laughs) for a couple hours. Um, And we had to like keep everyone active. I think we did like literally a team yoga session to try and keep people's muscles engaged, but like (laughs) not tire anyone out before we went and played. Um, We finally get onto the field and we're playing the University of Florida, who uh, like we hardly got to travel out of region to play teams in the rest of the season. So we're thrust into our first nationals game in like for any of us and we're immediately playing a school from all the way down the coastline um it was a back and forth game and then we managed to actually get a really quick snitch catch that time to win the game um and so we won our first game at nationals and there was kind of a similar feeling to when we qualified and won that that really long regionals game of just like pure excitement that this was kind of the goal was to, mm-hmm. to go and win a game um and then funny enough, after that, we were in the way the tournament worked out. There was, um, was a, call it a Swiss format. So there was basically any time like you're in a giant pool. And if you won your game, you played another team that won their game. And if you lost, you played teams that had the same record. Um, so we played the University of Texas immediately or later on that evening. No pressure. Um, yeah, no pressure. It was like here. The funniest thing was like everyone i mean people had a realistic expectation that texas was probably gonna win that game but uh it was funny because i definitely heard people are like oh it's, it's the old champions versus the new champions <laughs> yeah don't expect anything spectacular we're brand new to coming back to this competitive scene um but yeah we uh we played texas in um we we scored the first goal uh but the game did not go well from there <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we definitely learned why they up. were the champions. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I will say though that that game in particular stuck out to me as even though I had played MLQ um, and had a competitive sense of the sport by that point, it was just a really special moment of giving my teammates at Middlebury an opportunity to see what a high-level competitive team looks like. Uh, and I mean, obviously we were not very competitive with them, but just giving them a sense that this is like something that you could attain if you strive for it and you work really hard. Yeah, uh, this is like the gold standard. Yeah. The achieved this sport. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is the gold standard. This is what you can reach for. Um, obviously not everyone can get there, but like you, this is, this is, these are real people playing the sport. You actually get to play against them. You don't just have to watch them on a, on a computer screen. Um, so uh, we played that game and then, I think we played Baylor in a really funky close game for at least for parts of it uh, that ended up losing. And um, we played a, a game where we were, we were against Duke and we were up the whole game. And if we had won, we would have gone to the bracket, I think. Uh, but we were up the entire game, but we never like pulled out of range. This was still when there was no set score uh, and they yeah. caught to win by one, uh, which was that was frustrating. Oh, <laughs> but I think all in all, like as as frustrated as I was after that last game at the time, it, it was a really great learning experience and also just great to get everyone to a nationals. Um, yeah, it, I mean, they've since been again, uh, last year and I know that they qualified this fall again. So, um, yeah, I think it just kind of set, it set the bar for what is achievable for the team, I think. Yeah, true. And, uh, it's amazing to see 
yeah, how vividly you remember that, that tournament in particular and see the fond memories you have. But yeah, as you said, like the fond memories that your teammates will have and the influence it's had on the programme going forward and how they've been able to sort of re-qualify year on year on year. Um, yeah, just kind of keep it, keep the momentum going. Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring. Yeah, and like for what it's worth, I mean, it's interesting because I look back at that team that went to nationals and it has, I mean, people might not know these names well yet, but like, it had people like Mary Scott and Peter Lawrence and Abraham Benningson who have all now been either on a practice squad or a full um, main squad of an MLQ team who have all played, continue to play competitively, are in the Boston area right now um, playing for teams. So, uh, yeah, it, it like set this, I don't know, it like gave people this really cool insight into what it's like to play more competitively. And a lot of them or some of them took that opportunity. So um, it was really cool for me to see that that inspired them, too. Yeah, it's definitely pretty cool. The yeah, I was just kind of wondering. I'm pretty sure he was there, but like, um, did you get any kind of recognition from Alex Benepe? Like, did he sort of uh, reach out to you guys or anything? Actually, yeah. Uh, so I had I had like very briefly met Alex before because of my older brother, but I didn't know him well. Um, but uh, I remember he all of a sudden I got like a a message on Facebook or something while we were at the tournament and it was from Alex Benavie. He was like, Hey, I'm here at the event. Like the Middlebury team should stop by and say hi. Um, so I think after our final game, we, we went and we found Alex and we all took a photo together and he kind of talked to some of us, um, just about either mostly just our team and how things were going. But I think he shared a little bit about, um, his experience with Middlebury and, and Quidditch and stuff. And, just how excited he was to have us back in the sport, at least in a competitive sense. So um, it was, it wasn't like a, a crazy introduction, but it was really yeah. special to have him there and to meet him at our first nationals. I had no idea he was going to be there at the time. So um, yeah, it, it was a really special moment to see him. Yeah, true. Definitely like a, a nice little surprise. And yeah, if anyone has met Alex, Alex Benefit, he's just like, I don't know, at least in terms of the people I've met in the sport, one of like the most, effortlessly cool people that you ever meet like he just comes across as yeah he's just so relaxed and but like enthusiastic at the same time like it's a very yeah. strange mix yeah um, it is funny yeah but yeah definitely like a, a special moment uh yeah a, spe- a special run to to nationals for sure um so we already mentioned it early in the episode but obviously Back in 2017, you pitched up to that MLQ practice with Boston Knight Riders that were called then, now the Boston Forge, um, and uh, had no real idea what you get yourself into. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, you got selected for the team and been playing with them ever since. Um, so, yeah, what was it like joining up with uh, with the Boston team at first, considering sort of the, the prowess they have within the sport? And, yeah, how did it compare to what you were doing at Middlebury at the time? Uh, it was it was just kind of a whirlwind uh I mean I showed up to the first tryout and I think like I wore a Middlebury shirt or something uh well, all this so, gotta be business <laughs> <laughs> so immediately I got a lot of attention from people I had never met and they were asking like wait do you go to Middlebury like what what are you doing here uh who are you um and or like how did you hear about the sport how did you hear about the tryout and so like even though i had signed up beforehand i like i had never met hardly anyone and um yeah the, the, i mean like i basically just tried to 
to to do my best and also like I mean this is not how I would encourage people to play but like I was so nervous that at that point I was like I just need to not make many mistakes like I just need to play consistent and patient and um obviously I wasn't nearly the player I was I am now then but uh so it was a lot of like if I got the ball I'm just looking to pass it to the next open person or um like if it's a drill I'm just like I'm hustling as hard as I can through everything and showing off my athleticism as opposed to my abilities in the in the like in the actual game um because yeah every like everything was moving so fast for me uh like I think beating especially at a high level compared to a really low level is so different and like moves so quickly um especially like field awareness you need to know where the beaters on every team are all the time no matter if you're playing the beating game or not and at that point I did not realize that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so things like that stuck out immediately um so like I think I did well but I mean I made the team um but yeah I I was a little surprised. I really yeah. didn't know what to expect. Uh, I thought I did pretty well, um, but I, I just like didn't know anyone. I hadn't played at that level, so I wasn't sure what yeah. other people would think. Um, and the biggest thing that stuck out to me after that, though, was just how supportive everyone was once that tryout was over. Um, I mean, I think I had the benefit of uh, maybe I performed relatively well, considering I hadn't played at that level before. But like, I had people coming up to me, like Harry Greenhouse, uh, who was the coach at the time, asking me questions about like how to hear about it and like would I be willing to like come to practices this time this many times a week like in Boston in the summer and um just like being really encouraging of how I played and asking me about my background um and then similarly the players like Tyler Trudeau, Julia Bear um just like really interested in who I was (laughs) uh yeah and I think that really stuck out to me too. It was like, oh, okay, these people are really supportive and um, want me to be there. Uh, and so when I made the team, I was super excited because that was a pretty positive experience. Yeah, true. It's quite interesting to sort of see that and I guess comparison to sort of, yeah, those sort of established names on the team already. Um, and yeah, kind of see the difference between the two. Although... Equally, um, we we got to discuss this when we we had Teddy Costa on the pod, and like he he had a very similar story and sort of coming from like a small small college and sort of being fairly unknown at the time and going, oh, what's this old cute thing? Oh, let's give it a go. Yeah, um, and yeah, sort of be able to kind of prove himself on that level and then yeah, sort of gain the respect of everyone everyone there. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to sort of see what it's like coming into that environment as opposed to say the college environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like on my college team at the time, I was like, I was still trying to just do my best to get everyone to know how to like properly space out in an offense and pass and catch and uh, like when when you should challenge another beater and actually make a beat exchange. Uh, and, and then on my team, I was like, oh, I need to realize that uh, I need to be cutting and moving all the time for the rest of my teammates because they know exactly what they're doing and they're scoring in ways that I had never figured out yet um, or hadn't figured out yet. So, um, yeah, it was just a big transition for sure. <laughs> yeah, true. The Yeah, it's interesting to kind of see that, yeah, you have the sort of the original members of the team and then you're kind of part of this new wave of boston players that bit by bit has sort of taken over sort of people like yourself and like serena montero and yeah a few a few others as well that are now sort of regular fixtures 
in the Forge team as it is now, but had to sort of work their way up through the program. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of funny. I mean, uh, over the course of that season, I bonded with everyone a little bit, but um, yeah, people, yeah, people like Serena Montero, people like uh, Tyler Beckman, people like Morgan Bertram. Um, I don't know if Serena was on that very first team I was on, but she was definitely on the next year. Uh, and then like Tyler and um, Morgan were both on it my first year. And it was like, I got to bond with those people that were my age um, who were just sort of starting their MLQ careers at the time too. Um, and it was really fun to kind of all be learning these skills from the players above us and um, just like taking the opportunities when we had them. Um, I felt fortunate that I, I actually got to play a lot that year pretty remarkably. Uh, but um yeah, it was just like fun to grow together and support each other. And um, then like we'd see each other in the college season and help our teams there and then get to come back in the summer all again, too. So, yeah, it's pretty cool having that bond there. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, kind of your initial arrival to the team, but you kind of all the, all the years that you've been part of um, the MLQ team in Boston, like who, who would you say has been like the biggest influence on your development as a player? Yeah, uh, this is a tough one. I think, so I'm just going to restrict it to people that play my position. Uh, so anyone listening <laughs> that it doesn't, but is in that community, uh, don't worry, I still think of you as being very influential. Um, I would say probably first and foremost, I have to mention Harry Greenhouse. Um, he was my coach for the Boston MLK team, uh, now the Forge, that first year, and was the second year as well. And he's been a teammate of mine the rest of the time. And um, he uh, even, like in a way that was unnecessary, was incredibly supportive. Uh, and as a coach, the way he coaches is he's very player focused. So um, I remember after practices almost that whole summer, he'd be talking to as many players after practice individually as he could, checking in, talking to them about what they should focus on developing, um, like checking in about how they felt like they were playing, how he wanted them to play. And he did the same with me. And um, he just really helped me grow uh, into the more competitive player I've become. And um, yeah, his support even today, I mean, I mean, like I've learned a lot of things myself and through other people, but just like he is a constant supportive uh, and instructive force. And he's someone who like, he's never afraid to to give me constructive criticism and to, to admit ways I can get better, but he does it in such a way where like, I know he always has my back. Um, so definitely Harry Greenhouse. And then, I mean, I won't go into quite as much specifics with them, but I also have to mention uh, Julia Bear and Tyler Trudeau, who I played on the line with my first two years in Boston. Um, they ha were and only continue to be, even though I play against them now, uh, really supportive forces in, in my game and have have been supportive friends too. And then um, just like Grace Tastu and Jake Archibald as players as well were people who they encouraged me to grow and they also like just get watching them every day watching them play in the line above me or different from me all the time um I had to learn from them and I got to like basically figure out how to attack them and how they were going to attack me and I think that taught me a lot um so those those five people I think are the ones that I should at least mention first off yeah it's a good good mix of things and uh yeah it's great to hear about Harry, Harry as a coach and I guess the passion that he brings to it and yeah so you, you hear all, all kinds of things about Harry and the way he approached the sport but yeah I think yeah like it, it's cool to see that attention to detail and how does it doesn't strive that he's afraid to be like dishonest with you like he wants you to know exactly how you can improve and yeah sort of still to, to this day sort of keeping you honest and 
finding ways in which you can go to that even higher level. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, I know we play a pretty small sport, but and I like I don't want to come off as thinking that I don't know. Like I, I respect that I am good at this sport, but I don't, I don't want to yeah. try and inflate my own ego or anything. But like mm. it's been funny over the years to be in a position where I'm a starting keeper on an MLQ team or just in a position where I play a lot competitively. And I think once I attain some of these goals that I've had, that there are a lot of people who just, they're just like, I'm never going to criticize Ian's game. I'm never going to, like, I'm just going to not leave it alone. But what I appreciate about Harry is, like, I want to keep growing. I want to keep getting better. And, don't like, I can identify a lot of the mistakes I make and keep growing from that, too. But it's really helpful to have a teammate and a friend who's willing to <laughs> step in and be like, actually, these this is what I saw. This is what I'm going to be critical of. And not in a, not in a like aggressive way, but in just mm. a way where like they're, they only want you to be better. Um, and so like, I, I just, yeah, I love surrounding myself with the people who are, they're willing to be critical of me in terms of my game and help me continue to grow. Cause I, I only want to keep getting better as I play. Um, yeah. Yeah. True. I think that's a really important point to make the, yeah. When you get to like a certain state of the sport and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa you, you don't question this player that, they're really good. They won these titles and whatever, and they, they've achieved these things. Yeah, whatever happened there? Oh, that's not their fault. Like they're fine. They're, they're they're all good. Whereas, like, yeah, like everyone can get better. Like literally, everyone can. And there's still so much more that can be achieved with the sport. Um, and you 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 can you can see it genuinely on the field. Um, just in terms of, especially myself following MLQ, like you can see how the technical skills of the sport and sort of understanding the meta and all of this every year it just gets more and more complex and complex it's, it's fascinating but that's that's only ever achieved by people like harry being able to identify these things and yeah keep people honest and true and getting better yeah and i mean that's what i hope to do for my my teammates and um players of pandas and stuff too is hopefully try and help them continue to grow and develop and be that both critical and supportive force and just doing my best. <laughs> yeah, I guess you got a like a kind of perfect storm of things, really. You you could do sort of the MLQ stuff during the summer and be fully tested and play at the top level, um, and sort of be around like the likes of Jake Archibald, Grace Dastu, all these like great players, and then go back to Middlebury uh, and sort of be one of these sort of authoritative sort of leadership figures, and then transferring that information to your teammates and then getting lots of opportunity playing for Middlebury to then put those things in action yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think in many ways, kind of the way that you sort of grow as a player is in part, like, those two systems working together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think a lot of the positions I play in now is usually as a, a ball handler on offense and a lot as, like, a um, just playing by hoops as, like, a more keeper figure, no matter what headband I'm wearing on defense and um, those were not always the roles I was playing in, in MLQ, but uh, when, especially when I first started. But it was like I got to take a lot of the skills that I learned over the summer. And like you said, just have only room to grow and improve and develop in the rest of the year when I was with Middlebury. Because, um, like, I mean, I was helping the rest of the team grow and I focused a lot on on developing the team. But a lot of times is like we had a small enough team that I had to play most minutes of most games anyway, even if I was trying to develop everyone else. So um, it was just like a, a playground to experiment on in some ways. Every game that I played with Middlebury. Um, yeah, which I think also, like you said, has, has kind of transformed me into the player I am now, because when you have sort of all those opportunities to try things, 
um, you start approaching things in really creative ways, which I love doing. Uh, so whether it was funky passes or weird ways of shooting that faked opponents out or um, different ways of juking by people is like, I, I just got to try everything. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Sounds, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty good way to develop as a player. Um, yeah. Again, 2019, not only was a sort of momentous year for Middlebury, but also for Boston uh, in MLQ, um, we had um, it was the first year with two arm tackling and the, the new set score, which has now become very popular in the US game, um, which then led to a very interesting MLQ season uh, in which Boston claimed their third MLQ title, uh, beating the Austin Outlaws in two very dramatic finals games, um, which I feel very privileged to have watched in person myself. Um, but yeah, what was it like playing that MLQ season with sort of the new? rule changes as they came in and then playing in those finals against Austin. Yeah. I guess quickly talking about the rule changes, um, the set score and the two arm tackling were definitely an adjustment. Um, I think we, I mean, we had pretty great seekers at the time. I think we go through kind of waves, um, but like I think our seeking can be very good or, or struggle sometimes in Boston now, but it depends just on the day. Uh, but anyways, we had a very good seeking core then and um, that I think we're at the top of their game, but we were so used to prioritizing uh, where our beaters would go in that snitch on pitch play with the regular or with the, the previous ending game procedures uh, that I think like it just took an adjustment throughout the season to figure out set score, um, which I think we, we really did really well, especially thanks to coaching um, by the end of that season. Um, and then as far as two-arm tackling, I mean, personally, it was such a big adjustment. The spacing that you needed to get by somebody without being brought to the ground with one-arm versus two. Uh, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm very tall, and I think I'm very fast, and I'm deceptively strong, but <laughs> uh, I'm not a, a giant uh, person who's just going to bulldoze through you. And so I had to learn very quickly when someone was able to wrap me effectively or not with two arms versus when it was with one. It was much easier to break through that contact. Um so that was a really big adjustment, I think, for me and for everyone on the team. Uh, but I think what that did is it allowed a lot of our our players to learn to be really effective and defensively in defensive ways that maybe they weren't quite as effective before. Um, players, I mean, Grace Dasty was a phenomenal tackler before two-hand tackling, but I know she's not playing right now, but she was such a great tackler, especially that season for us. Um, and like Teddy Costa became such like even more of an effective tackler and aggressor on defense with the two arm rules. Um, so I think overall it really, it benefited our team in an interesting way. Um, and then in the finals against Austin, um, so that, that was kind of the first season that be, I became a ball handler and a, a keeper for, for Boston. And so I think that was my first time playing on that big of a stage in those kinds of roles. Uh, I'd played very briefly in the finals the year before, but not in that way. Um, and so, yeah, it was just like learning how to deal with that stage <laughs> for me. Um, it's just like trying to take the example from everyone else who had been there before and keep, keep calm, keep cool in my head. Uh, cause obviously, <laughs> I mean, like I said, even though it is a small sport, I think we still develop these reputations for these players and how good they are. And so when you step onto a field with the Austin outlaws and you see someone like August Monroe, you see someone like, um, uh oh my gosh now i'm just gonna blink marty bermudez or uh casey um 
it like sometimes if you're not just playing the game you can kind of freeze up for a second if you haven't played them before but mm. just trying to just stay calm and play the way that you would otherwise um yeah i think like what we did well in that season or that series we played a lot of really patient offense and especially towards the end of games and we we just forced that Austin team to work and defend us for as long as possible before we scored. Uh, and they were really tightly contested games that I think they could have gone either, either way. Like I'll, I'll give them credit. They was, it was not like we had them on the ropes or anything, um, but they were very contested games and we, we did what we needed to do to, to have it come out our way. And I feel fortunate that we were able to pull that off that year. Um, yeah, so it was just a really special moment. And I think for me, being the first time that I'd won with that team, even though I had heard that they'd won before and, and we had been very good and uh, gotten really far before that, um, it's just like opening the door to what's possible. I mean, it's kind of like what I said when my Millbury team qualified for nationals. I think like once your team accomplishes something, it really helps open the eyes for everyone on that team that they can do it again. Um, and just like continue expanding in your head what's possible. Yeah, that's so a really good way of reflecting back on that. Um, and, yeah, how you guys adapted to, yeah, the new rule changes and things. And, yeah, certainly something that's quite interesting as those rules are being more broadly applied um, across the sport. I, I know for for us in the UK, we've got our first tournaments of two-arm tackling coming up very soon. Um, so I know a lot of people are excited to see how that shakes out. Um, but, yeah, like, yeah, as you said, the whole sort of championship run was it is, is phenomenal to see those finals um and just how close those games were and just like a proper advert for the sport um and sort of really seeing how effective those changes were to it um and like i think both games or with, with the first one being like a golden goal scenario to win it and then tyler catching um sort of just just at the right point to win the game game two like there were two real high profile examples of yes, this works as a concept and it's really entertaining um, and it's really engaging for the athletes who play. Um, so yeah, lots of rewarding things in terms of because at the end of the day, like MLQ is sort of seen as one of the pinnacles of the sport, but also it's one of the pinnacles of innovation as well and and sort of of I guess marking the sport and creating these big names and yeah, having this big spectacle um so it's good to see all those things come together and yeah what was two really enjoyable matches yeah and i mean i think i think it's just from like an objective selling someone on the idea of set score perspective uh i think like i, I don't know if people were worried that the seeking game would be diminished by it or if the the quad ball game would be less interesting because of it but either way you got a game that ended like you said with golden goal and you got a game that ended with a snitch catch and it was kind of like yeah, both aspects are just as important as the other, and it matters what you prioritize and how your team uh, like adjusts to those situations is how you're going to win. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's like a perfect – I don't know how it worked out that way. It was a perfect mm. selling point on, on set score. Yeah, true. I really like what you're saying as well about coming into that sort of ball carrier role and being a more prominent figure on the team. Because, I mean, at least from like a personal perspective – I wasn't particularly aware of you as a player at the time. Um, but it was like that season where you've probably stepped up and became more of a key presence in that role. Um, and yeah, as, as you're saying, like you're playing against some really high level players who've achieved a lot and 
yeah, it can be quite easy to get sucked into that and sort of go, oh, I'm, I'm playing this person. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Like, they're, they're just going to cook me. Like, yeah, they're, they're amazing what they do. Um, but I think the way you approach is going, yeah, just play the game. Just see what's in front of you. They're human at the end of the day. Um, I imagine that approach just has served you well going forward. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, the way I still try and play the game is just breaking things down into simple. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. Don't get me wrong. The game is very complex. Uh, it's one of the things I love about it. But in mm. terms of when you're a player on the field, I think you need to make things as simple for yourself as possible. And that's it's like identifying who you need to identify on the field. For me, a lot of times that's I got to know where every beater is. Um, and then it's as simple as like, OK, how much space do I need between me and the person guarding me to get by them? How much space do I need before I can shoot from this distance? Or like, it's just little things like that that I try and always focus on. And yeah, keeping my focus in those areas a lot of times really just helps me to um, to simplify it and also to keep me calm and to keep me centered when I'm playing all different kinds of opponents. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've certainly fallen victim to this, but I also try and do that in the other way too, because I, I never want to um, play down to another team's level if they're not supposedly as good at us or whatever it is. So I try and approach every game the same way and um, be as competitive as I can and to, like focus on those little things because oftentimes that's what, what helps me play well. So Yeah, true. Like it, it can really get, you can get sucked into it very easily sort of looking at a certain player and like oh what are their tendencies what are they going to do what systems do they play and kind of worrying about the other team more than oh wait what am, what am i actually going to do in this scenario how am i going to play um yeah i think it's, it's quite easy to fall into that trap of thinking too much about who you're playing rather than how you're playing yeah it's also a funny balance being in sort of a leadership role with pandas right now because um like on the one hand, as a coach, I want to focus on those those bigger things that the strategically, how what team are we playing? How do we want to approach playing them? Um, what offenses and defense do we want to run or what plays do we want to run to 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 play this team because we think it can beat them? Um, and then when I'm on the field, also having the mindset of, OK, my individual player mindset of I'm going to approach every game the same way competitively, like I'm going to play just as hard as I would any other day and I'm going to. Uh, just focus on like I can win these matchups if I have this much spacing or I know I can make these shots because I do it all the time or I can make these passes because I do it all the time. And um, it's kind of funny to have two minds at the same time. Like, OK, on the one hand, it's strategically planning our team and what we need to do to win this particular game. But also as an own individual player, I need to stay kind of centered and focused in on just just playing the game the way I usually do. Yeah, true. The <laughs> lots of complexities around it <laughs> if you think hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> I was seeing like the years we had we had since 2019. Obviously, had a year off with COVID, um, and then came back for 20 the 2021 MLQ season, and then 2022. I think 2022, you're one of the league MVPs, right? Yeah, yeah. Last yeah. year, last MLQ season, I was a, the East MVP. Yeah, so did pretty well on like an individual player, like levels of player. Um, but in terms of getting back up to that top step Boston's come up short a little bit in terms of reach the semi-finals in 2021 and then the finals again in 2022 but not quite getting that uh benefit cup um yeah. so yeah like what was that being like that period um is it just simply a case of Austin and New York and I guess San Antonio and all these other teams creating a lot of competition or yeah what was that being like 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I first just want to give a lot of credit to the other organizations and programs. I mean, New York, I mean, Austin has been and continues to develop in ways that uh, are really impressive. Um, I think anyone in any sport would tell you it's really hard to be a good team for a long time, and they just continue to do it. So all the credit in the world there. And then it's really exciting to see teams like New York who have always had talented players but um, haven't always had success as a program develop into successful competitive programs that are like really competing even higher than they were before same with san antonio kind of evolving as a team and becoming competitive um so yeah i first want to just give it credit there but i think it's also just um while all these teams are developing and becoming more competitive and the sport continues to evolve um yeah it's just been a challenge for us to figure out how do we stay at the top of it and how do we um push ourselves to keep being better i mean um the United States is a big place. And even though the MLQ is broken down into regions, like it, you don't always get to see the, like these different players all the time during the year. And um, we try and play as much as we can. And then the MLQ season, we have our set schedule, but um, it's like, you can sometimes get yourself into your own bubble where you only really know how good someone who you play with every day is or every week is rather. Um, but you're, you got to figure out how you adjust and like see trends coming and, be forward thinking in the sport. Um, so it's not, for us, I think it's just been an adjustment. I mean, um, I think both seasons have been successful and then also disappointing in their own ways. Uh, obviously, you want to end up on top, especially um, with the goals that we had for both years. Um, but I think we've continued to really just grow in the, in the ways that we can. And um, like continue to develop players who weren't there before who have been ended up being key pieces in certain moments of each season and in certain moments of each game. And um, yeah, I think the 2021 year, I would say it was like a big transition of just um, like COVID. It was a year off from MLQ and coming back, trying to figure out, uh, all right, who's going to be in what positions or what roles on the team and how is that going to function? Um, and so there was a lot of transition there and, we almost put it together at the end of the year, um, but we didn't quite figure that out. And then I think this past last year, um, it's like a lot of things came. We were really challenged in the regular season in a way that we weren't even the year before that, maybe. and Or I guess similarly, but um, it was a really difficult uh, regular season that then forced us to learn and grow and be really ready for, for nationals. And we came out, we gave it our all, and um, just kind of ended up short in both of those games with Austin in uh, frustrating ways. But um, I think that, yeah, I'm just trying to continue to see every every tournament, every game as a learning experience and learn, like, grow it from it as an individual player and also try and help my teammates grow so that we grow as a team. Because, um, I mean, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's disappointing to lose those tournaments, but if we keep our heads thinking about what went wrong um, and not how to fix what went wrong or how to keep growing as players, we're never going to get to that level again. So just trying to move on from it in a positive way. Yeah, true. It's good to have that perspective of things. And yeah, especially like as I guess the landscape of MLQ changes over time, like it's getting, at least from like a neutral perspective, it's getting really fascinating. Like seeing sort of your traditional say your Boston teams and like your Austin teams now they're still up there and still making the finals and winning championships and things but then yeah you do have say New York challenging and you've got San Antonio challenging and then 
I don't know, the championships last year. Yeah, like I think Charlotte took a game off New York and like Washington played an incredible quarterfinal series with the Outlaws and Absolutely. There's, there's there's all these teams that are now competing with like it, it's not a foregone conclusion going to some of these games like it maybe used to be. Um and yeah, I guess when you're part of one of those more established teams or going, yeah, like thing, things aren't going to be perfect. We're going to be tested. We're going to struggle. But yeah, it's the challenge of staying up there and yeah, still being able to achieve what you can and still be able to be on top despite the increased level of competition. I think it's the really rewarding challenge. Yeah, it's definitely it's a really fun challenge. Um, it's also a really great way to challenge your mindset because it's I think it, like in anything, it's so easy to get comfortable with the status quo. Um, and I mean, for me, even it's like as much as I try and stay in the same mindset every game of that, I have to beat the like the opponent is going to be as good as they're going to be. And I need to play the way I always do um, when you play how like three, four MLQ seasons where you beat every team in your division by a lot every game it it's hard to <laughs> you might go into the next season and just assume you're going to win even if you mm. don't want to um so it's been a really great way to challenge our mindset because everyone is getting so good um you have to be forward thinking and you have to to find ways to to still beat them anyway um because there's talent everywhere and yeah any any team can pull a game off of anybody it feels like at this point in mlq yeah, true, and it's just yeah, getting more excited for the sport, and yeah, definitely has players coming back and yeah, spectators coming back for more. Um, we're gonna switch lanes once more before we wrap things up. Um, so obviously, in the last few years, um, you've been recognised at a national level um, by the sort of the US national quad ball team. Um, so at least initially in 2019, uh, you were chosen as part of the first development academy um for the national team um we trained with alongside the national team ahead of the pan american games um so yeah what was it like being selected initially for the development academy and yeah how did you find being exposed to that elite environment yeah it was it it was really special um i think what's funny is even though i had played on a or and continue to play on a competitive boston mlq team and I appreciate how lucky or how fortunate that is and how competitive that is. Um, especially being in an insular community in Middlebury, playing for this small school, I think it often felt like, yeah, I could technically strive for and achieve anything, but it, like it's hard to fully picture it happening. And so um, as I had played the sport for a while or had like one as I started to, I, like, I did develop this goal. I was like, I, I would love to try and make a national team or some iteration of it or uh, version of it. And it was just a, a goal, like to keep me working hard, to keep me not only practicing really hard, but also working out and doing all these other things in my personal life that were constantly trying to help me achieve those goals. Um, and so to finally like to have that be recognized in a way um that I mean, it was new at the time. The development academy didn't exist before that, but it still felt almost just as special uh, to be recognized and to have an opportunity to go and and play um, with these really incredible people in the sport. Um, it's funny. I, I think I'm a little lucky in that playing in the place that I do. Like I said, in the summers, I got to play with people who were previously on the national team all the time. Um, but like it. If there's something special about getting that full group of people together that, that play for at that international level. Um, 
So I was really excited when I got the news. And I, I think because it was new, no one totally knew what was going to happen or how this was going to work. Um, so there was only also only a few of us got selected and or accepted the um, selection. So uh, I think that group of us, I think there were seven of us exactly, um, really bonded. Um, we called ourselves the DA, the Developmental Academy. Uh, and yeah, I think that group of us really just like came together and we're excited and we approached it as like, we're going to learn as much as we possibly can from this week training together with each other and also with the national team. Um, so the way it worked is like we got to play in drills with everyone and then uh, in like lots of scrimmage situations, we'd be subbed in for different people. And then we'd also be put together as our own team to challenge the national team in different ways, whether it was having them test different defenses or offenses and um, so we were kind of like this tool that they could use <laughs> to learn and get, grow themselves um, in a good way. I mean that in a good way. Mm. Uh, and uh, but like when you get an experience to practice that many times in a week with that high level of competition, um, it teaches you so much so quickly. And um, yeah, once once I had that experience, I like and getting to watch the Pan American Games immediately at the end of that week, um, I think it like set my goal of okay. This is achievable if I work hard enough to do it, and uh, this is what I want. This is what I want to where I want to be um, as soon as I can. Yeah, sounds like a really good, I guess, introduction into that that fold, and yeah, a really interesting idea or something to have. Because um, at least compared to like other national setups, like some of them will have training squads, some of them won't. <laughs> um, it's it's one of those things that I think across the sport we're still working out sort of how best to develop players on that level and kind of create that conveyor battle talent um but it sounds like it was a really rewarding sort of week or so um sort of training with the team and having these other sort of future prospects together um kind of like as you were saying when you joined up with the boston rq team like having these people that were all kind of joining at the same time and you could kind of develop together um yeah. it wasn't just you sort of coming in with all these experienced heads and talking, oh okay this is a little intimidating um and then yeah really kind of I guess, yeah lying a fire under you and going yeah this is really cool i want i want more of this in the future yeah yeah absolutely yeah it was just really it was fun to to have like you had sort of your insular group of the developmental academy that you were learning growing with together and then you had the national team that you were learning from and getting to challenge and um so it was, it was cool to kind of be able to be exposed to both um like you said and yeah like there's, there's real like proof in the pudding as well like you look at those seven i think it's yourself dan william serena as mentioned before um yeah the Kobe, three of us yeah four of us. as well like they've all been promoted to sort of the, the standing training squad and then sort of go on to talk about in a moment the the uh sort of exhibition matches in 2022 as well so it's sort of proof that, yeah, you can get in the development academy and then, yeah, if you keep working hard, like that's a real good way of sort of fast tracking your way into the national setup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think they're just continuing to improve that system. I mean, they brought on Azim Hussein, who's now a coach of the development academy, and they've been able to add significantly more players, like a full team. Um, so I think when they get those opportunities to practice and play together, uh, it, it's only going to help them, hopefully, in the ways that it helped us in that original group. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and yeah, just kind of wrapping up this main section of the episode, um, just talking about, yeah, all that stuff with in 2022. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a, wild, a wild time for the sport. Going from Quidditch one week to quad ball the next. And then all of a sudden we have a televised game on ESPN. It's all been very sort of kept secret for a bit. It was a very, very strange sort of sequence of events to follow. But yeah, you, you're part of uh, sort of the US national team. Um, in that case, got promoted for this uh, sort of summer series with with Canada and the DA, um, and you got to play in the, the televised game on ESPN. So yeah, what was that all like? Um, both in terms of the televised match, but also the series as a whole. Yeah, it was. I mean, leading up to it was kind of funny. Um, obviously to logistically like the team is communicate like the organizers of the national team and the da are communicating with you leading up telling you like okay we have an event happening roughly this time period that we need you to be available for um but like even we didn't have all the details for a long time <laughs> so it was just like a lot of mystery surrounding what was happening i think there was a lot of details they were still ironing out um we're like, well, we know we're not going to the Pan American Games this year, uh, but we're doing something. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of mystery. But once we sort of figured out the details and actually getting there, um, yeah, it, it was funny. I mean, obviously, as I've kind of tried to say throughout this podcast, I'm always trying to continue to grow and evolve as a player, and I will only continue to have that mindset. Um, I don't plan on... like. I, I'm not a finished player. I'm constantly improving, hopefully. Um, mm. But, like, it's funny to... I didn't expect there to feel like a major difference. I mean, I, I, obviously, it's very special to be promoted to the national team. I It meant more than I can probably express, um, especially, like, being a kid who loves sports growing up. It's like that being on a national team for anything is a dream, and it's, like, something that you, you look at as, like, the peak kind of level of something is competing at an international level um, and getting even no matter how proud or not you are of some of the aspects of your country like the idea of wearing uh an international or like your um country's uniform is like really special so getting promoted was really really special um and i hope they continue to hopefully be on that team um but like it, i didn't expect the experience of actually practicing and playing to feel significantly different but it's funny how like he's stepping into the practices that week um it was like oh i like i am in a role where like i'm not in a leadership role but it's like i'm in a role where like i need to command the field the same way that i do in my own teams back in boston and um like i i obviously like need to play the way that i do always and it's like i'm no longer in this developmental academy role where i am always looking up to the players above me it's like i am helping to set the standard i'm a part of creating the culture and the play style of that squad um, and it's a big responsibility, and I, I try to take that seriously and, and do my best to uphold that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was kind of an adjustment, again, <laughs> to, to come into that squad and play in that way. Um, and uh, I thought, like, practices with that team and the experiences I've had have always been um, really special and really high level, and it's like you're constantly challenging each other in exciting ways. Uh, and then actually playing in the event was, was a, something that... It was an interesting balance because I've played in events where there's a lot more actual spectators there. Um, but having the TV crew from ESPN was such a weird experience. Uh, 
like you just you had a sense that this like this was special um like even if you look up in the stands and there aren't that many people there like i at least i felt like like this is a momentous occasion and especially for the tele i mean for all the games they felt really important i mean i think anytime um i ever put on a national team jersey or i'm lucky enough to um it will always be a special moment but uh like that televised game felt like it it, <laughs> it was a momentous occasion for the sport um and i just felt lucky to be a part of that and be hope like do my part in making it the best game i could uh, for our team yeah true it's, it's good to look at it that way and yeah sort of recognize that yeah i'm having gone through the development academy process beforehand uh, and then getting promoted and sort of going yeah like i'm here for a reason i've been picked to do this thing and i just need to go out there and play my game and prove why i'm here basically um and yeah as you're saying about yeah the whole espn thing um yeah it's, it's just really interesting to to watch back the footage of it um because I, I, I we kind of heard through the grapevine that the players being told to sort of create an advert for the sport as such and sort of play and make it look cool and sort of try certain things like did that sort of did that translate into the way you were playing were you thinking oh there, there's the correct play to make which is really boring <laughs> or i could do this really fancy thing instead and that's gonna look better for the tv uh i tried not to let it affect me too much um we did try and play like really aggressive defense to make it just more interesting um as opposed to like sitting back in a really condensed zone or anything but i think that was the biggest change i noticed um i will say i mean i don't know how other people i don't know how everyone views me or anything but i think like i might sometimes be considered a flashy player not in like dunking or anything but just the the passes i throw some of the shots that i attempt um so i think in some ways i just approached it the way i always do (laughs) yeah well i yeah, I just think from like a playing perspective, it would have been really interesting to kind of get that, to have to have that as a brief and sort of think, oh, how, how am I going to adapt the <laughs> the playing in in this way? Like, and yeah, sort of going, oh, do I just play the way I normally do, or yeah, do I try something out a bit different? And then, because also like the flip side of it is like if you tried something like it trying to flashy and it didn't work, you just like an ass on national <laughs> TV. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know, with, with the way social media is and, like, things like TikTok and stuff, you know that stuff can get, like, clipped up quite easily, like, if you weren't Absolutely. careful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That's a thing to, I guess, think about as the sport. Like, I, obviously, with the name change and stuff, and ideally, we get more of these opportunities. Yeah, maybe, maybe something to think about in terms of uh, playing more of these types of games. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, I, I'm really hoping that, the name change helps to create opportunities for things like that um and yeah who knows i mean <laughs> i'm gonna be here as long as i can be trying to be just a part of that and uh, make the sport um what it is so uh yeah i'm just i hope i'm hopeful and i'm excited for the future as we keep moving forward yeah definitely the yeah it's, it's really cool kind of seeing the development of it and i guess from what we talked about obviously seeing your brother play all those years ago and then being able to have this experience all these years later and yeah must be really special kind of seeing that trajectory that's come before and yeah where we're going yeah the i think that is something i mean i tried to express how special the event was but i 
yeah, you kind of nailed it with the playing on ESPN. I think and getting that opportunity was a really special moment for those reasons too. Like I, if you had asked me when I was a, what was it like a 12 year old kid when my brother was playing in college and I was just there watching this event, whether I was going to be playing on a nationally televised game of the same sport, uh, helping to represent my country, I would have never believed you. Uh, so <laughs> it, things coming together in ways I never would have expected. Um, yeah, was, was just a really like momentous occasion and one that I will always remember and cherish. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at things. Um, yeah, we're almost at the end of the episode. We're going to move on to the mailbag questions now, um, which is uh, it's interesting looking at this week's mailbag. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Got a few questions from uh, your teammates in um, who are very kindly donated um, to our, to making this content happen. Okay. Um, we'll start off with um, this question comes from Kieran Collier. I'd like to know what's your calf routine? <laughs> uh, great, great question. Uh, I would say uh, just focusing on legs in the gym is important, but then also just do do a lot of hills when you're running. Uh, a lot of hill repeats or walking or uh, or running. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, yeah, it was a, a very very practical answer. And, uh, yeah, it, I nev- never thought of you as having like monster cars, but yeah, maybe that's uh, it, something it's that what you push know about. <laughs> yeah, it's been a running. I mean, I won't say joke. It's been a, a kind of a yeah. I'll just say joke amongst my yep. friends <laughs> through high school, through college, and now. We've <laughs> uh, um, got this next question coming. In. It's a honest question. Um, who, who's the toughest opponent that you faced? Toughest opponent I faced, like uh, individual opponent, like an, yeah, like an individual matchup. Um, I would say one of the toughest matchups I've ever had um, was I Brian Mulcahy. He's a chaser now plays for Washington in MLQ and Bosnian Bear Sharks and USQ. Um, not none, not many many people know him, but um, I played for him a number of years, and he's a really good defender, especially on ball. Uh, and so every time I face off against him, yeah, that's a good shout out for Brian. I think in in the past we mentioned Brian in previous episodes, and he's like one of those players that like at the MLQ level, like you know about this guy, like he's 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 rated amongst the people that play, but probably doesn't get the the wider recognition that maybe other players get. Yeah. Um, so our next question coming in is from from Teddy Costa. We'd like to know how do you feel about sand? <laughs> do you want me to explain this or no? <laughs> I I can kind of guess, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. <laughs> um, so uh, my first year at MLQ, they a lot of the team said that I looked like Hayden Christensen from the Star Wars movies, the ah. person who plays Anakin Skywalker. Right. Um, and so when I scored, they would chant the uh, Darth Vader, like Death Star Imperial March. Um, <laughs> so uh, I apparently I hate sand. It's coarse and I don't like the feeling of it. <laughs> In actuality, I like sand. Oh, hot take there. Yeah, that's definitely coarse, rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. Um question coming in from Ryan Smythe. It's uh, quite topical after HVI. 
Blaster, how did it feel being allowed to walk to the keeper zone against the hyper-compressed <laughs> New York slice defense? Yeah, um, I mean, it felt great in the moment. Uh, it allowed me to shoot a lot. Um, yeah, I think teams are playing a lot of condensed, zone, condensed zones and uh, just constantly figuring out how to attack it. And in that particular game, I felt great about it. So felt great. <laughs> True. Always good. Seeking lots of shots. Um, and this next question is kind of linked to that. So what have you done to work on your shooting form in quad ball? Mm, uh, a lot of repetition and, and a lot of trying to like make it repeatable. So uh, in I'm now living in my own place, but when I was still living at home, I would set up hoops and my fortunate my parents had a yard and I would uh, just set up cones and different spotting spots to shoot from kind of like you would in basketball and I, like mm. practicing on your own. Um, and I would shoot overhand like a number of shots from that spot and then push shot like from my waist every shot. Um, and trying to be able to release from different points of my body. Um, and then what I do now is like, if I have that opportunity to do on my own, I do. And then in practices like beforehand or in the middle or like in between drills or after drills or when we have shooting drills, I do the same thing. Uh, it's just constantly releasing from different points of your body and getting comfortable with that and repetition, just shooting a lot. Um, also, uh, for anyone listening, for especially for push passes, Try and learn to shoot the way that you pass uh, so that you're always working on your form, even if you're just passing. Yeah, last point particularly, yeah. Pretty pretty useful to get, definitely get a lot of reps in, not just when you're shooting, but yeah, when you're passing your teammates, being effective that way, yeah. Very, very practical advice. Um, got a few more questions left. Uh, this question from Fiona Weishart, um, we referenced at the top of the show. What's it like being America's sweetheart on one of the <laughs> biggest villain teams? country <laughs> yeah again related to hvi <laughs> yeah so heroes vs villains named i mean the tournament's named heroes vs villains and every year the teams that get invited uh get named either a hero or a villain and the, this is our first year going and we got named a villain uh i <laughs> i don't really know how to answer this question i just try and be I think my mindset is I want to be as competitive as I can on the field, but always within the confines of the rules of the game and also like what is respectful of the opponent. Um, and then off the field, I just want to be as kind and accommodating to people as I can. So um, regardless of what you think of me, my goal is always to to be as good a human as I can be and to constantly improve. And uh, yeah, I'm still going to try and beat you if we're playing against you, but um, I want that to be within like what is... I don't know what it not not chivalrous but like um like it, i want to beat you respectively like if i'm going to score on you i don't want you to get hurt i want to just blow by you so my mindset is always like uh, yeah i i never want to hurt someone mentally i want to uh or like i never want to hurt someone emotionally i'm just trying to beat them in the game <laughs> yeah true true the it's just quite funny how pandas end up as, as villains like you think of a panda as like <laughs> it's so innocent and yeah it's not gonna harm oh, anybody man. um yeah it's really not the organized like no villain team yeah it was really funny <laughs> i i i've grown to love that it happened i think it's hilarious so yeah true true um we got a couple more questions um this next one um if you were to host a tournament where would it be in the world and why 
So it could, it could be anywhere? Anywhere in the world. Um... I think I would I would love to this is kind of a random answer. I'd love to host a a tournament in a city like like Seoul, Korea South Korea or like uh somewhere in Japan or something, uh part of the world that I haven't been and also that I don't know much about what quad ball exists there. Uh I think it would be really fun to it like if theoretically you could get all players from other parts of the world to come and play in like a fantasy tournament there. I think that would be really interesting to to get all these different people and cultures to mix. Yeah, that's a really thoughtful answer, actually. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's you, you kind of get that aspect when you do like a World Cup or something and get to go to a foreign country and play like a really high level tournament. But uh, yeah, like with, with kind of the high festival nature of that question. So like, hmm, yeah, you, you can take this literally anywhere. Like I think really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do too. That's a really cool question. Yeah. Um, yeah, our final question of the episode. Um, I think it's quite a nice one to sort of tie us all together. Um, yeah, what would you say is your favorite memory of playing quad ball? Mm, my favorite memory. There's quite a few of them from from down the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is definitely a tough question. Um. There's there's cer- certainly some recency bias here, um, but I'm just currently at least going to say playing in the nationally televised game with Team USA is my current favorite memory just because um, not only for the actual moment of playing in the game and being there and having that experience, but... Um, like my only my dad actually got to fly out and watch it but uh my the rest of my family was at home able to watch on the stream on espn and they had like a text group going and they were talking to each other and i even had like more distant family reach out and talk about how fun it was to watch the sport for the first time and um in a way it was like bringing together a lot of uh like what i had been doing and showing it to my family in a way that they're not always able to see um and so like even though they're always really supportive and i feel lucky to have that it was it's really cool to have that be such a publicly displayed event that like it could be shown to all these people in my life yeah it's a really really good choice and uh yeah i like how you've identified not just the fact it's like representing your national team but yeah being able to share it with your family and sort of in a format that sort of shows yeah like what ian's doing like the time and effort he's putting in is it's all worth it and it's all going towards something that's just getting bigger and bigger and more exciting down the years yeah absolutely yeah um we're gonna wrap it up there um ian it's been a fantastic sort of two and a bit hours um i've certainly enjoyed talking to you obviously got that yeah. that podcasting experience uh <laughs> t- t- two smooth talkers together um yeah, it's been a really entertaining time. Um, I've certainly learned a lot and, yeah, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed yourself too. And, it's yeah, really appreciate your time. So, thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on. It was really fun. It was great talking to you about it. Um, yeah, look forward to talking to you again, hopefully soon. <laughs> Fantastic. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah, we hope you listeners have enjoyed this as much as we have. Um, if you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Total Quad Ball podcast, 
please give the Total Quabble Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on the page. And uh, as and when we announce our guests, we'll give you an opportunity to send in more amazing mailbag questions like we've had this episode. Um, yeah, until next time, keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.